You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is Kurt Sumner, your host for NSPS Radio Hour. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to have everybody listening, uh, not only those who are listening today, but those who will be listening who download the show. We have a lot of downloads, so we're really proud of that and glad that you're listening to our show today. Uh, today my guest is uh, Ambrose Gminer, who is a native Marylander, but now resides in, in New Jersey. And uh, Ambrose, I, before we came on the air, you mentioned that you were actually going to have some people listening to the show, and that was pretty cool because I'm not sure any of my, listen, any of my guests ever said, hey, I'm going to have people listening before. So <laughs> maybe you want to say hello to your friends and, and family who's listening. Yeah, that's great, Kurt. Thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for my family for uh, being so supportive and um, all my friends and colleagues at uh, NJS, PLS, and, of course, the uh, great professors out at University of Maine. So I appreciate the time. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, you know, it's interesting you were talking about thanking folks who are listening today, and that's one thing I suppose we as surveyors maybe don't do as much as we ought to, particularly with our families, because as we get all caught up in our work, and I think our families pretty much know we're we're kind of geeky in terms of uh, we get caught up in our work and we we, we can't break away from it sometimes. So uh, it's always good to thank all of those who who put up with us with our obsession it's it, surveying is almost like an obsession sometimes i think yeah i agree that's uh you're exactly right and, and we do get caught up in work so it's it's good uh that's a good point to take the time to look back and see who's who's with you <laughs> so yeah that's true I but on, on, that. on the other side of that i think it's indicative of the kind of people that come into the profession who are so dedicated to their work um, and I, I don't know that I've ever met a surveyor who wasn't just totally dedicated to the profession and to doing the thing we do and helping people and the, all of the great things about being in the profession. So although sometimes we maybe we feel like we are uh, neglecting our loved ones a little bit, sometimes it, it is a proud thing to have people so dedicated to what we do. Yeah, that's true, and, and we are dedicated. You're exactly right. So, you your path from from Maryland to New Jersey and somewhere along the way to Maine. Uh, maybe you can tell folks about it about that a little bit. Uh, sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I'm originally from Maryland, and I was with the uh, Maryland Society of Surveyors as well. Um, and uh, of course, I'm with JMT, and JMT's in Maryland as well. Um, but I kind of went up through the ranks uh, with MSS and um, left there as a vice president. And came into New Jersey and um, kind of knew some of the folks in the New Jersey profession and the New Jersey society. Um, but I kind of wanted to learn a little bit about the the nature of the business and and get used to NJS PLS a little bit before I got into it with two feet. So um, last year I was director at large. This year I'm vice president and 
God willing, I'll be uh, president-elect um, this coming year, 2017. Yeah, that's one thing that, uh, I, again, something I think that shows dedication. And, of course, being in the spot that I'm in these days here at NSPS, and, and this goes back a long time because I got involved in NSPS as a governor representing the Virginia Society back in 1987, so a long time but that's that's one of the things that has been so impressive to me all across our country and, and across the world really uh, people I run into who are in our profession just just how how good the people are and how dedicated they are and and uh, I, I think maybe maybe that's true of every profession I'm not really sure about that but certainly in our profession it's true and and you have had that experience in two societies uh, and that that, again, that shows you um, just really good people, and you don't necessarily have to be in the leadership to show that dedication because, you know, everywhere I travel, every surveyor I run into feels that way. So I, I just think it's laudable for, for our profession and for the people who are in it, and sometimes I, I think we're not sure if people who are not in our profession know what we do or appreciate what we do. Um, uh, but I'm not. I'm not sure that isn't true either, because most of the time when I tell people what what I do, they're like, "Oh, wow, that's really cool," and and they kind of understand. So maybe some of our our concerns about people not understanding who we are are not well founded. I don't know. Yeah, and that's and that's true. And I think a lot of times when someone first hears that you're a land surveyor, they automatically. Uh, at least my experience, presume that you're in the field. And, of course, I have to say, well, yeah, I'm out there, but just not as much anymore. And I'm fortunate to have my guys go out there and, and take that place now. But that's probably the, the biggest perception is they automatically think you're out there um, behind the instrument or or whatever they think it is, that, that mystery instrument. Yeah. And that's and that, that's a really good term, I think, to use that mystery instrument because people do have a hard time understanding what it is we're doing, and and that's okay. Um, you know, one of the other things you mentioned as we were communicating back and forth, uh, you made mention of the the year we we had a meeting up in Baltimore, and we had a I don't know if when you're talking about the Olympics, I'm not sure if you're talking about the ones where we actually did surveying activities. We also, at one time, had teams that did different things that was more weren't necessarily surveying activities, but just teamwork doing different things. And so I'm not sure which one you were talking about, but we did used to do the one where we had several different surveying activities that people, individuals, would do and maybe answer questions or guess how high something is or calculate in their head, maybe is a better word, instead of guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly right. That was... Uh... That was the old guard with uh, ACSM um, back when they had the conventions in Baltimore, and I was fortunate to be able to help out Alan Jagu. He he did a lot of that um, setups. And I at first I should go back a little bit when you said that about giving back to the profession. Wasn't that a uh, wasn't that a VAS uh, motto from Roosevelt? I believe 
Um, yeah, it was. It was. It's been the motto of VAS for the people on the radio who don't know VAS. That's Virginia Association of Surveyors, and of course my my root organization that I've been involved in for all these years. But they adopted that as the society's motto, and I think the exact words were "Every man is a debtor to his profession." Of course, yeah, that that's expands right. to anybody. It's not just the male gender, but. Um, when that statement was made, that's the way it was written, and so that's the way it was adopted. That's um, right. That's what I recall. So, yeah, going back um, that uh, that Olympics, that was, from what I remember, the individual, um, they had different steps of even the old uh, transit reading the verniers um, was uh-huh. one of the events, and I know that um, they had those nice, those brass discs at each of the um, events so that you could clearly see that that was the the marker. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, we had about, I don't know, maybe eight exercises or maybe maybe ten exercises. I don't remember exactly how many there were, but they were sort of spread out around the convention hall, or in some cases I think they maybe they even had them outside or part, portions of them outside. Um, but one of, one of the things I always found of interest was the chain-throwing competition. Um, and I don't know if you ever participated in that one or not. I didn't. I always watched, though. That was a little bit before my time. But yeah. I did pull that, the chain, but I didn't have to I didn't have to throw the older one. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting one for me because when I started in the mid-'60s, um, th- that we were still using that what we called a chain. It was actually a steel tape you drove on the ground. That's right. Uh, but uh, I can remember that one of the uh, this major accomplishment for a rookie coming in was to be able to flip that chain, what they call throwing the chain, um, so that it goes from a, a figure eight into a little circle. And that wasn't the easiest thing in the world to do because it, it took a little bit of thought about how you're going to make this happen. But I can remember that sort of being a um, a measure of, of your... Uh, Capability or your your tenure on the on the job. Once you were able to throw the chain, that was a big deal. That's right. When I came into the profession, I it was kind of the wind up steel tape. So it right, wasn't the, ro- the reels. A, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What I found interesting about the NSPS competition was it seemed to me that more often than not. Someone from North Carolina won it every year. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and I'm not I sure that as well. what that says exactly. But since I since I grew up on the Virginia North Carolina border, I can kind of identify with it. I suppose That's I was right. born in North Carolina, but but uh, spent all my life in Virginia. But th- yeah, those things were great fun and the kind of things that we don't really get to do anymore. And I I guess we could do them. And of course, you know, NSPS hasn't held a conference now for some time um up until a couple of years ago we we probably had a stretch there of 10 or 12 years when we didn't actually do a conference in the spring the way we did for all those years um when we were acsm and we just got back into that a couple of years ago and we'll be doing another one this coming year and of course they're not nearly as big as those were back in those days you'll recall those in baltimore were thousands of people where it was ASPRS and, and ACSM combined. 
Right, that, and they were quite well, you're right, they were well attended. Um, a lot of good sessions, a lot of good technical sessions. Yeah, and I, uh, I've talked about this on the show before, I think, but part of the reason that, that that has died down on our end is you have, the state societies have gotten to, to the point where they offer a lot of that education tied to their continuing education requirements, of course. And then the, all all the new technologies that are out there for the vendors to reach out to people. Um, they don't necessarily have to come to a conference like that to, to find the audience that they're looking for. That's right. So that does have a, a pretty big impact on on the conferencing thing, although I still like the fact that we're, we're trying to get back into it just from the perspective of being able to provide opportunities for people to come and participate in a variety of things and interact with each other. That I think the whole idea behind contra- conferencing is just the, the personal interaction as much as anything else with people you meet and people you get to know. And you make friends there that remain friends for life, sort of like at your state conferences. That's exactly right. And that's, that's a good direction that NSPS is going um, with the state representatives and well, believe it or not, we're at our first break, Ambrose, so let's okay. take that break. We'll be right back. All right, very good. Got a Shonstead locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS-recognized surveyor education program by shipping it, at no cost to you, to Shonstead. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.shonstead.com slash NSPS for details. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800 438 0387 or go to com. that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quick Stakes today. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Now, Ambrose, when we first started our conversation, you were talking about being in Maryland and then going to New Jersey. Uh, Another thing that we chatted about a little bit when we were leading up to the show was the, the, the thing that's happening with the early land records in New Jersey. You had talked to me about that. I thought that was pretty interesting what's going on there. Yeah, that is pretty exciting, and I'm glad to be a part of that as well. Um, New Jersey, in its early colonial days, was a east and west Jersey, 
And so they had the um, East and West Jersey uh, proprietorships. And as they had a survey warrant and survey return, um, these old records are, are basically loose records from when the parcels were originally surveyed. And um, what the New Jersey State Archives is doing through the uh, Genealogical Society is they're going to go through all these loose surveys and have them scanned um, so ultimately they'll be available uh, as an online record search when you go to the archives website. And uh, NJS PLS is, is proud to be a supporter of that as well. And were those records kept somewhere in, in like a, a, a records depository somewhere, or were they kept separately out among just people who happen to have them? They Were they already collected, and now they're just putting them together in, in digital files or something? Yeah, the, um, well, the East Jersey uh, proprietorship had, if I said that correctly, they had their own uh, base. I don't know if it was a archival system, but they had them in boxes and and luckily, a lot of those uh, survived. Um, and then West Jersey actually still has a surveyor general, um, Mr. Tom Howe. And the West Jersey proprietorship had uh, given the state archives on loan all their the records that they have. And just a number of you know, thousands of, of loose surveys. And it was interesting to see even... Um, some of the few that I was able to observe even have the old surveyor's notes on there, so that's really remarkable that they survived all these years. So when you were talking about East and West, were were they two separate uh, jurisdictional entities? That's exactly right. They, um, um, not certain of the time period, um, but yes, they were. They they each had their own uh, independent, um, I don't know if you would say charter, um, but they were each areas that were granted from the king. Hmm. So maybe this is history you don't know, but I'm just curious. What what was the event that brought them together? Uh, that is a good question. I don't think I have that. I was going to see if I could pull so up it, something. So it was obviously after the revolution, um, Correct. Yeah, and, they, and and at that time in the colonial days, New Jersey went through some uh, turmoil back and forth between a, um, I guess, a revolutionary state and a and a state of the king. Um, so they had quite a back and forth controversy between um, the the local government being taken back over by the crown and and then being independent again. They went through some quite a I mean there's a lot of history there obviously. Yeah, that's that's a period of time that is intriguing, I think. And I won't say it's forgotten necessarily, but um Maybe some new interest has been sparked in it. Most there have been a few books written about it, and uh, I think there's a couple of TV shows now that are on that are sort of documentary type things. Um, although they're they have actors and they're acting it out, but it's still sort of a, a documentary, and perhaps maybe rekindling um, some of the interest in how how the country became the country. Um, 
and then how each of the original colonies and then states sort of uh, came came into being and and uh, and then all coalesced together that's that's such an interesting story and I've, people have asked me sometimes about early surveying and of course we virginians claim that that uh, john smith was surveying uh, along the james river before anybody else but that may or may not be <laughs> <laughs> that's right and boy did the virginia company have a big land grant at that time oh yeah yeah it was pretty amazing pretty amazing for sure so I did pull up something quickly, and I was able to discern that the uh, they says the provincial dual capitals on the East Jersey side was Perth Amboy, and the West Jersey side was Burlington, and they kept their seats of government up until Trenton became the combined capital in 1790. So at least that gives a little background, of, and then it, it did go on the. I guess before that, it went on to say that the um, it changed several times between the crown and the and the uh, colonial state. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to to hear about those kind of things. And when you were just talking about that, and you went out and got that research so quickly, uh, it, that's just amazing to me how how we can do that these days. Um, what it what it reminded me of was. Your experiences when when you went to to school and you were talking about the the professors that were there and the school that's still there, um, it's it's amazing what a good level of education comes from those programs that I'm not sure people appreciate it as much as as we should. Yeah, that's right, um, and it's a, you know everything's almost available on the web these days, and um, between your your research and your, you know, your learning capabilities, and uh, even the the way surveying seems to be headed with all the new technologies, it is really amazing. Yeah, it is. I I haven't gotten the nerve yet to uh, send any DNA into the ancestry thing <laughs> to figure out. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's funny. Yeah, it is. We're, um, and that just goes along with if somebody asks you your nationality, well, we're Americans. Right. Yep, that's for sure. But it seems as though there's been a, a huge rekindling of people's interest in trying to track back. And, and and if you think about it, I don't know, maybe it's different in other families, but in my family, for years and years, I had no idea of anybody beyond basically my grandparents. Uh, you know, we're where people came from or what they did or any of that kind of thing. I guess I guess that's maybe sort of normal. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's also like the, um, I don't know if it's a, an insult or not, but it was something in nature of um, what's the only country where the, where the people only know one language, and that's usually in America, obviously English. Right. That's changing a bit now, but still the base language is, is English for sure. Yeah. You know, in thinking about that um, and history and how all these things have, have moved forward, I know you've done a, a series of articles recently, and you're still working on them, I suppose. I'm not sure if you're finished with them or not. But it, in looking at that, it's a reminder of just what a role the surveyor has played 
and what all those different roles are and how people leverage those roles or how the surveyors leverage them. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yep, absolutely. Well, I was, I'll give you a little background on that. Um, a lot of that information came from my research paper at, um, for my professional science master's uh, at University of Maine. And when I, after I had that reviewed, I let a few of my colleagues take a look at that, and and uh, one gentleman in particular said, well, you know, you can't just let this sit as a paper. You have to get this information out. And so that's where I thought, um, okay, I'll let I'll I'll let this out and kind of let my guard down and and let some other people review this and see if it's worthwhile for print. So that's kind of how that ended up. Um, in publication, and the first part um, kind of touched on how a land surveyor, um, for the most part, already is doing project management and project planning, um, and all the levels, the roles that we play, um, you know, relative to the boundary all the way through to uh, development. Yeah, it kind of goes along with that first person in, last person out thing. That's right. We're, um, I guess, the, and that kind of goes the same when you try to explain land surveying to some people. You know how we're um, basically the fact finders initially, and then you know as construction goes on, the land surveyor is the one that um, makes sure it's in the right place, and and then they're the ones that. Uh, tell where it is at the end, so you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I think it's important um, for that recognition of, of that role of the surveyor and how, I, as I say it in my own colloquial way, is the only person who's there from beginning to end, really. Correct. Uh, and and is that common thread, if you will, that pulls everything together. One of the things I was I was really interested in, and we got a couple of minutes here before the break, so we may have to carry over as we talk about this. Okay. But one of the things in, in that first article that caught my eye was the, the discussion about the surveyor as the planner, because sometimes I'm not sure even we ourselves realize how much of a role we have there. Sure. Um, should we go ahead, Ellen? Yeah, we can start, topic? and then we can break okay. when, when the time comes. Well, if you if you go back and think about how the land surveyor is pulling the records and information together, um, say for the initial survey, from the topography to the boundary lines, um, and then they go on a little further and then pull the zoning information. So they're pulling building setback lines, um, they're pulling environmental features, um, and a lot of this is is available through the GIS now. Um, tremendous amount of resources on the web um, at these times, and in that, you know, you pretty much pull um, what becomes the buildable areas if it's undeveloped land. Um, and from there, um, for an existing property, you're you're basically letting the owner or the user um, know uh, what areas they can expand in. Um, so it's a tremendous amount of planning that um, is kind of indirect. 
Yeah, and and it's it happens almost automatically as the survey is going through, but nobody really focuses on on what's happening. I mean, it's it's, it's like the survey is doing all this work, but nobody's thinking about that as being the planner. It's it's just sort of part of what we do, I think. And I, I kind of want to we come back from break. I want to pick up on that a little bit more okay. in terms of that role as the planner because it it is a critical role and one that. We ourselves, I think, sometimes don't realize so much. So let's go do that break, and we'll be back in two minutes. Attention surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Got a Seanstead locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS recognized surveyor education program by shipping it at no cost to you to Seanstead. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.seanstead.com slash NSPS for details. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. As we were going to break, Ambrose and I were talking about the role, the planner role of the surveyor, and you were beginning to expound a bit on what that role is and just how how broad it is. And during break, we talked a little bit about how some kind of almost unknown it is. Um, it's it's work we're doing and pulling things together, and but not necessarily being recognized for what that is. And you even made comment about. Uh, covering that in seminars as it relates to LTA and SPS surveys, which is, I think is a great idea. I made a note of that. We'll, we'll need to talk about that a little bit further. But maybe you could, could talk a bit more about what, how, that, how that role all comes together. Sure. I mean, you think about all the elements of, say, the Table A that are being asked to cover. And, I mean, there's a number of items in there that are really – uh, planning related, um, and the surveyor covers all these um, basically in his as build or as out the survey. Um, anything from zoning to use to you know building heights, um, 
any any conditions that are being asked in that table are all really planning elements. That's very true. And you made mention in your in your article about the whole concept of why wouldn't a surveyor want to be a certified planner? Now, I'm not really sure what it what's involved in getting that certification, and I think you said it comes from the American Institute of Certified Planners, so I'm not sure what's all involved in, in getting that, but I would think surveyors would be in a pretty good position to, to pursue that. That's right, and, and most, most surveyors are already qualified for that, um, and it's just a matter of, you know, if they want to um, go through and formalize it through the process. Um, you'd have to apply and and take it a national exam. Um, that would be computerized, kind of similar to what um, would be in the not the same information or or um, knowledge base, but a similar exam on the computer as you would take with NCSS with the fundamentals of surveying. Right. Yep. So um, something like that could be done through the, I, th- I believe it's AICP, um, and that would give you maybe that formal credential. Um, and then New Jersey takes it a step further and actually have a professional planner um, under the state board. And is that one available to people who are professionals in another right without going through um, a particular set of criteria to get to qualification? With New Jersey, if if you're already a uh, professional land surveyor or a professional engineer, um, you can apply. Um, There are certain elements that allow you to to practice that without having the formal um, registration. Um, From my understanding, you just can't use it as a um, business proclamation without actually having the registration in New Jersey. Um, But it certainly is something that you could perform within the realms of of the practice and and follow that through the registration if you wanted to. Right. Well, I noticed in, in what you had written, you were talking about the experience on planning or zoning boards, how how important that is. And, and I'll agree with that wholeheartedly. I, the years I lived in, in Blacksburg, Virginia, I was on the, the town planning commission there. That was probably as much education as I got anywhere else, uh, just being part of that and seeing how that whole process works and what you know what goes into the effort to to create plans and and uh, provide them to the public, and then the, the the great part for me was to be able to give the surveyor's perspective for it. Uh, so yeah, I, I would recommend that highly to anybody who has the opportunity to do it. That's that's true, and that and that kind of goes into my next article about um, testimony, and so within that same realm of. Uh, providing information relative to planning, you, it gives you the expert uh, background in order to testify in, in front of that planning board. Exactly. And I, I may have even said this on the radio show one time, and I'm not, I can't, it obviously wasn't improper because I was allowed to do it, but I actually had times where 
on the board I was on, if if I had a project, I got excused from the board to go present my project. Um, so it was kind of a, a, a two-pronged education. I got education as as being the person doing the reviewing, but I also had the opportunity to make presentations back to the back to the board as well. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think I said, who who better than a, a surveyor to be able to present that after compiling all the facts relative to that property in the beginning? Right. And, and you know, that kind of leads me to another thing that was back in your first article where you were talking about the surveyor as the project manager. Sometimes when, you, when you're working, I think sometimes maybe if you're a, a, a practitioner on your own rather than part of a multidisciplinary firm, you you get the project manager label more easily than maybe you do in a multidisciplinary firm because uh, I've been in both situations too <laughs> and uh, it seems as though in, in those multidiscipline companies the surveyor doesn't always get get picked so to speak as the project manager but surveyors have that capability sure absolutely and they you know it's a lot of the um, efforts that the land surveyor will go through. Um, in a sense, he's already following uh, the project manager. He's just maybe not given that formal title. You're correct. But certainly putting all the pieces together is, is part of the deal. You were talking about the expert witness side. Have you done that very much? I have had an opportunity to do a little bit of it. I'm, I'm not fully immersed in it. Um, I know I've gone through some... Um, depositions, um, some playing board type of testimonies. And, of course, I also mentioned in there that um, whether you realize it or not, when you give presentations or or you have an opportunity to um, uh, say you were shortlisted and you're, you're given a technical presentation for a contract, I mean, essentially you're, you're providing testimony whether you realize it or not. That's very true, uh, no question about that. And I think sometimes the, depending on the what the project is, uh, that surveyor role is every bit as critical as anybody else's role, and sometimes even more so. Uh, you know, again, thinking back to uh, highway design projects that that I was involved in, that surveyor role is a is a major element to making sure that you're on. They, they choose the right team. That's absolutely right. Because you have so much impact into everything that goes on and certainly experience it in those kind of situations when you're making those presentations. And, of course, you've got you've to get uh, experience. But once you have that experience from the survey side, I think it goes a really, really long way in helping to, to win the projects. That's right. And then going back to the other, you know, the the court and and the planning board testimony, I mean, certainly if the land surveyor has the most, um, or I shouldn't say the most, but most of the time they'll have the most in-depth review of that particular property um, because they've gone through the, the land records research, they've gone through the previous plans and um, they'll have uh, direct knowledge of that property and location, so that's why they're best suited for that kind of testimony. 
and hopefully have been on the site. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, I remember a, a seminar a while back, and that was one of the questions that was always raised. Make sure you were out at the site. <laughs> yep, that's for sure. Can't survey the site without being there. No, and I mean, even if you've got other folks out there gathering data for you, when it comes time to make the decisions, I, I was one of those people who just didn't couldn't ever want to make those decisions without actually being on the ground and verifying in my own mind what was out there and rather than just taking data that was gathered by by other folks that are working for you and and that's not to say that they didn't do their job well right they, they did they do a great job but if you're going to put your name to it my thought always was well I really need to be able to answer any question that may come back about this and I can't do that unless I go there. Right. There's something to be said to be able to walk those lines yourself, and you, you've examined them, and you know that, in your opinion, that you feel that they are the those are the lines. Right. And that's not to say that there may not come a time where um, someone finds more information than you were able to find, and if they do, then that's okay too. That's right. But at least you've done your due diligence and Correct. Uh, able to, to answer those questions. And, and, you know, you get back to that testimony and the whole court part of it. Um, going in when there, there's a dispute is always a challenge um, because you know for a fact at that point you really got to know what you're talking about because it's the job of the attorney on the other side to trip you up somehow. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. So you need to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was thinking back. Um, I did read something to that nature, where um, I'm not sure of the source, but it, it was something kind of comical about instructing your crews that if they go um, out looking for a marker to make sure that they dig down that extra six inches or whatever to to try to find something because it might be just covered over. Right. I, I think I mentioned this to somebody else on the show one time. Uh, the guy who was my primary mentor always told me that my most important piece of equipment was a shovel with a really long handle. <laughs> so, so I wouldn't quit digging too quickly. And and that's really true. You know, as Of course, I, now we have the GPS or GNSS and... And you can make the throws and have the guys go out and look for them a lot better than the old chain chain and tape. But then I always remember that uh, one seminar where you still have to make sure you go along the lines because you might miss something. Yep, yep, that's for sure. And it's too easy now, particularly yeah, in, in mountainous areas. You've got a, uh, a corner at the top and a corner at the bottom, but there's still things in the middle that you need to be aware of. That's correct. So that's definitely for sure. Well, we are uh, 10 seconds or so away from our next break, so right. we'll go take that break, and uh, we'll come back and pick up on uh, on leveraging roles when we come back for our last segment. Attention surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. 
The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Shonsted products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.shonsted.com. Shonsted, the best just got better. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quick Stakes today. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Got a Seanstead locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS-recognized surveyor education program by shipping it, at no cost to you, to Seanstead. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.seanstead.com slash NSPS for details. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back for our last segment today with Ambrose Gemeyer. Again, thank you for being with me. And, and while we were on break, we were talking about your articles and and maybe you want to give some props to the folks who printed those for you. That was really good of them to do it. Sure. That obviously that was XYHT magazine, and uh, I appreciate all the input they had uh, to compile those. Um, we we had a nice discussion back and forth with how to best present that. Um, of course, that those small segments came from my forty-five page. Um, research paper so that was it was pretty uh admirable admirable for them to break it out in the way they did yeah and speaking of those when we got over to the the part three articles i I was very interested in the topic there um which you kind of started out economics of land surveying and that seems to be such a, a big deal in the in the profession and i think one that causes a bit of consternation uh, among the professionals themselves over uh, pricing and what things are worth and um, you always have the complaints about somebody's going to do it for half what you know it costs and all those kind of things. So it's good to, to have uh, not only a conversation about supply and demand because I guess we can talk about that for a long time and I've had it on the show a few times before actually in terms of what's the future look like for how many surveyors are there going to be and what does the future look like for how many surveyors are we going to need? Um, and, and both of those are part of that equation in and looking at economics moving forward. Uh, but I think I'll, I'll ask your opinion about this and the whole idea about economics of, of determining cost and equated to value and equated to getting a good, a good product at the end. And that's always going to be a challenge. Um, 
if, if we could all have the same frame of mind that we're going to go towards a value-oriented business, um, in the end, we'd all be better off because then, then the, we wouldn't have the low bid as much. We wouldn't have the undercutting. Um, it, the smaller firm with uh, less overhead, if you will, uh, certainly could do it less expensive than the larger firm but then it'd be nice to think about okay look at that investment you have in the equipment look at that investment you have in your men and personnel and then look at the insurance that you have to cover the professional liability insurance Um, if, if everyone thought of it in that realm then certainly you'd want to go to a value based business and that's not unlike other professions. Very true, and you know that insurance part of it is is a a big element, I think, in recognizing the value of of having insurance as a professional, not only to you but as a, to your clients as well. That's one of the things we found very interesting as we were going. Through. You mentioned the ALTA NSPS standards earlier. I don't remember if it was the last time we went through the review or the time before that, but we were with the the title folks and the lenders council folks who, you know, NSPS and then the, the ALTA and the lenders council folks are all part of that committee that reviews and, you know, figures out what the changes are going to be to the standards. And at some point in the conversation, the thing came up on that, what ended up being item 21 initially about, do you have liability insurance? And when we brought up that that should be on there, their reaction was, why you don't need that? Every all surveyors have liability insurance, <laughs> and, and we were like, uh, "No, they don't." And they were shocked. They were shocked. They were actually shocked. Yeah, I can imagine. And that's and I don't think the um, the issues we face today don't seem to be different. You know, I don't. I think they. You, uh, we talked about looking back at some older um, publications and almost seeing the same ideas about, um, you know, will we have enough surveyors, will we have enough, um, I guess, projects to work on, will we, um, what challenges would we face, Um, those kind of things all seem to be continuous, just different roles or different uh, circumstances. That's very true. I, just recently, somebody was talking to me. I don't remember. Might have, might have been you when when we first started talking about looking back at old articles in the in the old ACSM magazines about the business of surveying and surveying in general. And forty, fifty years ago, the same discussions were going on. That's right. As they, That's what as it they are now. Like. And. Uh, you know, you were talking about the business model and whether you're a sole proprietor or whether you're a corporation or you're some kind of partnership or whatever you are and however you're set up in terms of your, your infrastructure and and how you work out what your costs are. Um, I guess my question always was, and the thing I tried to keep in mind as I was trying going for projects was, okay, I can maybe do this cheaper than the next guy. Right. Considerably cheaper. But why would I want to do that? 
Right. Why, why would I want to leave that money on the table? Sure. And are, are you really covering all your costs at that point? Right. I mean, yeah. Do you understand what all your costs yeah. are? Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's easy. Sure. Just say, you know, that's only going to take my crew one day, and you know, I'm I'm only going to need like a few hours of office time, and I can get some information out. But is that really how much time you're going to have into it? Um. Is that really how much costs are going to have into it? You're exactly right. Yeah, and then those those long term potential costs. Um, we we do a periodic shows with Lisa Isom, who runs the company that that manages the NSPS member insurance, uh, particularly professional liability side, but other coverages too. Uh, and we talk about that all the time in terms of what are those actual costs that you're not seeing, and what are those risks you may not be seeing. Right. Risks are the biggest thing, I think. If you if you get that little job and, and you certainly want that maybe by your low bid, but what are your risks? What's going to follow you after that? Um, how long is that going to be around, that information that you provided? You know, they're all hidden costs that you have to think about. i got to make this more of a value. Right, and and as time goes on, those those costs that you're talking about, those ones that aren't necessarily top of mind, are still there. Those those hidden costs of, um, you know, one of the big things going on these days is equipment theft, for example. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So that, you you got to replace them, and you still have, you know, even though you're you may have insurance, it's you're still paying. You you still have some out of pocket expense to replace those. Um, thefts, or even the old equipment. You're you're changing them out for newer equipment. And one of the things we were talking about recently was the, was this whole idea of the cybersecurity. Um, that isn't necessarily something that comes to mind instantaneously, but but it's out there. That's right. And and you mentioned that, and it's kind of something I was thinking about this morning. How the surveyor's role really is going to change or is is in the process of changing um, relative to the cloud, you know, relative to those large database sets that the surveyor will, if he's not involved, he'll, he will be involved with, um, you know, that's, that's a, we're in that transition again, whether we want to be or not. And it's just the nature of, of business and the nature of change that you may not want to go there, but your clients are going to go there. That's so, right. So you really don't have too much of a choice to to be uh, involved. And that's going to be really hard to set an hourly rate to because, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, you're just going to have a... How do you quantify it? Sure. And that was one thing, funny thing that was from a 1980 publication that said uh, surveyor in part of the 20th century has state-of-the-art technology and that's pretty amazing the tools don't do everything for us at least not in my office and there are a few real limitations Um, but it certainly is making the field work go quicker you know you're spending less time in the field and less time in the office and you definitely have to change it to a value-oriented business i would think 
Yeah, uh, absolutely should be, and and in reality should have always been. Um, but you're you're really going to be driven to that, I think, um, in in the way the world is going now. And who knows what the next thing is going to be? I mean, just think of how it's changed in the tenure of people like you and me, and you're not as old as I am, but in the same general range. Yeah, I remember the uh, when the total station came out. That was the big thing. You, you went from the uh, the Seattleite to the total station and the EDMs. Um, so now you're going from the, the GNS S network receiver to maybe even a UAS or a drone, um, mm-hmm. or even the handhelds. That the technology that's changing that'll allow you to make measurements from your smartphone that's that's going to be pretty amazing yeah and that that gets kind of scary when anybody can measure from the smartphone but may not understand what the answer is sure and so and that, that gives a role for the land surveyor you uh, you have to be involved with that yeah and I, th- I think it's one of those challenges too though because the perception is going to be that anybody can do this and and it's true anybody can get an answer Sure. It may not be the right one, but I can get an answer. So, well, we've got about a minute and a half left, so I hope I haven't missed anything really important, but in the next minute and a half, if I have, you can share it with us. No, I, again, I appreciate the time uh, you've allowed me to speak, and um, I'm sure there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of topics that we could spend a tremendous amount of time discussing so um, we can always go back to one or another at a, at a later date if you want yeah I'd love to do that that's one of the things I always like doing is have people come back and expound further on some of the topics that we cover more or less in a general sense in, in our first uh, first conversation so I'd love to have you come back and do that again because there's so much in depth here that we could get into and, and I think it's important to get into and that's the great thing about the show. It's archived so people can go back and listen to it over and over if they want. Whether they want to or not, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope they want to. <laughs> yeah, I hope they want to as well. So I hope I, I hope this was worthwhile, and I hope um, I was able to express uh, at least some of the, my opinions and um, elaborate a little bit more on some of the articles. And, again, I, I appreciate the... Um, time that you've allowed me to speak, Kurt. So. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right, You're thanks. listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.